Hey guys, it's Marcus Tatum here at the Convinced Christianity Podcast, and we're back with another podcast. This is uh, episode four, and we're going to continue our topic, um, the reliability of scripture. Um, last week, we talked about um, the reliability of knowing that it's it's from God himself, knowing that the Bible is God's word, um, as we claim it to be as Christians. Um, this week, we're going to stay on the topic of reliability of scripture, um, but we're going to focus more on the reliability specifically of the manuscripts and uh, the translations that we have today and um, the confidence that we have that what we have today is exactly what was written um, you know all these thousands of years ago um, also I want to note um, I know you guys are probably getting tired of me just rambling on and talking to you uh, for like 15-20 minutes uh, the goal is and the desire is to have other people on the show um, and let it be a discussion um, even interviews um, and just hear other people's thoughts and opinions and worldviews. Um, so just know that that is the desire. Um, and just uh, hang with us until, you know, we can make that happen. So, but uh, moving on, we can get right into the the content here. So, again, like I said, we're going to be talking about the manuscripts and the translations. And how, you know, how reliable are these translations and manuscripts. Um, so first we're going to talk about textual variants. Okay, so people may come to you as a Christian, you know, you being a Christian and they'll say, Oh, well, the Bible has errors in it and that the Bible, um, you know, has contradictions and you know, that, that what was written thousands of years ago is not what was written today. Um, not the Bible that you have. Um, and so let me just explain, uh, let me give you a definition for textual variance. Um, and so textual variant is any place in which there is a difference in spelling, word order, omissions, or additions to the text. Um, and so, it is it is true that the Bible over um, the span of thousands of years, um, the manuscripts that we have and the copies we have, there are variants. There are textual variants. I'm going to talk about that today, how that may have happened and how we know that they are variants and how we know that um, how do we know originally what was written um, so that we don't read the variant and believe that, uh, you know, that it's not hurting what we believe and our, our interpretation of Scripture. Um, so how can these happen? So the first way this can happen is mistake of the eye. All right. So if we read first Timothy three sixteen, um, in the Greek, uh, there is this symbol, uh, it's an abbreviation for God. All right. And it's really close. We last week we talked about similar looking, uh, written Hebrew letters. Um, this abbreviation for God is very similar to the, uh, another Greek letter, um, which is a personal pronoun for who. Um, and these two letters or abbreviation and, and, and words, if you will, um, they look very similar as well. And so if, you know, uh, say a, a scroll or, or a scripture is, um, worn, worn down and is old, it may be very hard to read exactly what's on the page and they may mistaken it for, um, this, this, this word who, instead of their abbreviation for God, um, or vice versa. And so you can see how it would change. If you read first Timothy three sixteen, it says in here, he who was revealed in, in the flesh, um, you know, the variants have been, have been made where it says, uh, God, uh, was revealed in the flesh. Um, so you can see how that would, obviously it changes the word. Um, but it actually doesn't change the meaning in this context though. Um, even if that variant, you know, which it has, that variant has been found, um, in some manuscripts. 
Um, but what we have is the correct one. Understand that. Um, another way that this, this variant could happen is a mistake of the ear. Okay. Um, now, this would happen in what's called a scriptorium, um, where people would be copying the text as it was read to them. And these were like Jewish scribes or Jewish copyists, if you will. Um, it would be read to them in this big room and it would be sitting, sitting around this person who's reading to them out loud. Um, and so you can imagine that if somebody's really far away, they might not hear clearly what's being said or, um, you know, they just uh, maybe get behind while they're copying and they have to kind of maybe memorize um, what they're supposed to be doing and they just don't remember what was said. Um, so that's, you know, very possible. And I'm giving you examples on how this could easily happen. Uh, we read Romans 5, 1, these, uh, these are Greek words, and this word uh, ekomen and ekomen um, sound very similar. They're, they're actually spelled the same in, in English here um, with the with the difference of literally just a, a, um, a long vowel symbol over top of the O in one of them. And the differences between them is one is saying we have peace with God. The other one is saying let us have peace with God. Um, so obviously a difference, not a huge one. But a difference nonetheless, and so we have to acknowledge that. Um, another example, First John chapter one verse one. Um, this word, uh, human, human, I believe it's pronounced. Um, and another way, the other word is Haman. Um, there's a one-letter difference here in this word, and one is saying your joy might be full, and the other is saying our joy might be full. So um, there's a difference in understanding. Whose joy might be full here, right? Um, so again, that there's there's a difference, and it's and you can easily hear the the similarity in, in the way these words are being said. Um, if you read Revelation one five, again, these words are in the Greek. You're not going to open up your your uh, NIV or NASB and start reading and try to find these words. These are in the Greek translation. Um, Revelation one chap, chapter no chapter one verse five. Um, you have the word lusanti or lusanti. Now, honestly, they sound exactly the same to me, especially when they were taught to me, when they were read to me. I still couldn't tell the difference. Um, but there is a letter added in the second one that I said. Um, and they and one means washed us from our sins. The other one means freed us from our sins. So, and, and, and with that one, of course, you know, not a difference in interpretation, but again, still different nonetheless. And it is a variant nonetheless. Um so those are how how easy mistakes of the ear um, can happen. Um, another way these can happen is uh, mistake of the mind. Um, and so this is like, you know, reversing the order of letters or words um, and things like that. Um, you know, you're sitting in that scriptorium maybe, or you're, maybe you're just trying to memorize what was said or what you think you read in scripture. And, um, you know, you just get the word order wrong or you, maybe, you know, you just swap some letters here or there. Um, and so that was also possible. And then lastly, when it comes to how this could happen, how these um, these variants could come about, there's also there's intentional errors, intentional variants. Um, and so it wasn't like these people were trying to, like, um, confuse people or um, throw people off here. But it would be th things such as this, updating to current word forms. So, like, maybe a, a phrase is outdated and they thought maybe they were updating it into a way that people speak now, kind of like we see with on our um, example, of that would be like the King James to um, the new King James, right? They just kind of take away all the shalls and doubt thou and, and thou shall not all that type stuff. Um, so that, that, that would also happen here when they're copying 
Um, and we've seen that if you do that, update the current word forms, it's not as our languages have progressed. Um, our languages aren't very specific. We have a lot more uh, words that are vague. Um, whereas if we go maybe farther back in our languages, there are more specific words that we could be using to get a more accurate um, uh, portray what we're trying to say more accurately. Um, another way this would happen intentionally is people would harmonize parallel accounts. So parallel accounts are things such as like the Gospels, right? They're all, all four different books of the Bible, but they're all the same story. Um, they're, they're accounts from different perspectives, but they're all parallel accounts of the same exact thing, um, the same exact events. Um, and there's this document called the Diatessaron that was written after the Gospels. Um, it's not considered scripture, um, but it is that it, it is a document someone wrote um, as kind of a like a one. Um, so they don't have to read through four four Gospels. It's one document that that kind of adds everything that the four Gospels had. Uh, maybe there were some things that Mark said in his Gospel um, that wasn't in Luke's, you know. And they just make sure they have one cohesive um, thing. And when you do that there are going to be some variants in the story um, and how it reads. Um, another way that would happen intentionally is an attempt to finish a thought. So in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, it talks about, um, it says this, it says, but go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So that's the verse as we read it. But some variants or some manuscripts have had it written uh, where they'll try to finish the thought. All right. So that's another way of an error or a textual variant is that they'll try to finish a thought um, that wasn't actually finished um, when they were when it was originally written. And so in this case, it says, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So the words to repentance is um, is, is added in some manuscripts uh, throughout history. So those are ways that these variants may come about. Um, now we're going to talk about the quality of variants. So like you're like, OK, well, Marcus, you're telling me there are variants in the Bible. How can we be sure then in what we believe? Um, we're going to talk about the quality of the variant, though. Is it a big deal? Is it not a big deal? All right. So there's two types of variants. Um, there's a trivial variant and then there's substantial variants. OK, so a trivial variant. These are variants that do not impact our understanding of the text of Scripture. Okay, and if we read Matthew one eighteen, um, we see there's there's trans uh, excuse me uh, manuscripts that have um, a variant a trivial variant in this verse, and it's as simple as this. It reads now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows, and other. Manuscripts will actually say the, now the birth of Christ Jesus as follows, was as follows. So it's literally as, as simple as being Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. Um, that is considered a trivial variant. It does not, under, does not impact our understanding of Scripture or the context of what's being said here. Um, now, a substantial variant. Now, these are variants are, that are meaningful and that would impact our understanding of the author's message. Okay, so these are variants that would um, impact our belief system that could really shape our theology even. Um, so these are more serious type of variants. But that being said, let's read some notes about these variants. So first note, 
99% of the textual variants among New Testament manuscripts are differences in spelling or word order and are so insignificant that they cannot even be translated into English. So what does that mean? Like these variants are so small or so trivial that even if somebody wanted to copy them into the translation or into the next copy of the manuscript, um, that you actually really couldn't do that, especially in English. Like the, the, the variant is so minuscule that there's no way to actually copy it in the English language, even if you wanted to. Um, so that's how small these variants are. Uh, 90, 99% of that, um, of the New Testament. Uh, the next note is this. This is an important one. We just talked about substantial variants. It says substantial variants make up 0.03% of the New Testament. I'll read that again. Substantial variants make up 0.03% of the New Testament. All right. And understand this, that no Christian belief rests upon any textual variant. Not a tech, not a trivial one, not a substantial one, none at all. No textual variant impacts our, our, our belief of core doctrinal theology in the, in the Christian faith. Um, again, not a trivial one, not a substantial one. Um, does not impact anything that we believe at the very core. You know, the, the life, the ministry, the death and resurrection of Jesus, uh, our, our forefathers and the, the, the themes, the nature of God, all, that thing, all the things we find in the Bible that we find foundational to our, our faith. Um, none of these things are impacted by variance. So that's that's huge. Uh, moving on. The next thing I want to talk about is textual criticism. Now, textual criticism is uh, one of the first things that I learned about. Um, I even gave a uh, presentation um, and I, I did a speaking engagement about textual criticism. Um, this was one of the first things that I learned when I dug into the historicity of the Bible, historicity of Jesus. Um and apologetics in general. Uh, so that's one of the things that I enjoy studying um, or talking about the most. And so textual criticism is this. It, it compares the manuscripts with other manuscripts, other copies, and various resources in order to determine their original. All right. And so we use um, two different factors. Frequency, which is how many manuscripts that we have. Okay. And then we also uh, look at dates. So how early is the manuscript, is the copy. And over what span of time do we have, you know, these amount of copies? Um, and so let me give you some facts about the frequency of the manuscripts that we have. So we have 5,600 plus Greek manuscripts with their average size of the manuscripts being 450 pages. So these aren't like small um, fragments of, of Bible that we're finding. These are uh, books, you know, chapters and books and, and possibly even uh, we're finding, you know, entire New Testaments. Um, so that is, is, we're not just finding small things here. Uh, so we can compare entire, uh, books, if you will, to each other to make sure that they're exactly the same as time goes on. Um, we also have 10,000 Latin manuscripts. Um, we have numerous other languages which combine approximately a total of 10,000 manuscripts. Um, so we have a lot of manuscripts and these are far more, far more than any other historical document. And that is a fact. I believe the new and in terms of the New Testament, that five thousand six hundred is four times more than the next um, next the, you know with the document that comes in second place to the Bible, which I believe is Homer's Iliad. Uh, don't quote me on that, but I believe it is. Um, 
it's we have four times more manuscripts than Homer's Iliad um, in terms of the New Testament. Um, now dates, we have New Testament manuscripts as early as 130 A.D. Um, I actually have heard people say we had manuscripts even earlier than that, um, within 30 years of Jesus's uh, ministry uh, and death and resurrection. Um, but I guess to be safe here, uh, this is what I got from, uh, this specific source. So I'm going to stick with that. <laughs> um, if you don't understand what this textual criticism is, it's a little hard to understand right off the bat. Um, I'm going to give you another definition for it. Okay. So essentially what's happening here, the more manuscripts or copies we have, and the earlier that they were written, the less doubt there is about the accuracy of the text. All right. So I'll read that again. The more manuscripts we have. And the earlier that they were written, the less doubt there is about the accuracy of the text. Okay. And compared to the most trusted historical text of that era, the Bible is far above the rest with a significantly and exponentially more copies within a shorter period of time. All right. So we're pretty darn sure that the Bible that we have today is exactly the Bible that was written uh, all these thousands of years ago. Okay. And then, as we're on this topic of textual criticism, I, I do want to note this. Um, textual criticism does not prove or argue for historical accuracy. Okay? Not historical accuracy. So, for example, the Bible is proven to be 99.5% accurate to its original composition. Okay? That's a fact. At least the New Testament. All right? That's a fact. Um, but you could also say that about Dr. Seuss's Green Eggs and Ham. Right? Dr. Seuss's Green Eggs and Ham is, could be 99.5% uh, accurate to its original composition when Dr. Seuss wrote it. Uh, but it's still a fictional story. You know, it's a fictional um, narrative that was written by Dr. Seuss. Um, it doesn't make what happened in the story true. All right. There's no historical accuracy to the green eggs in hand. Um, so textual criticism only proves that we have the original Bible and that it not, has not been changed. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean what's in the Bible is a myth or fiction. Because um, there is plenty of historical evidence for the events of the Bible. Uh, but I'm just pointing out that this isn't the argument for it. All right? Textual criticism is not the argument for it. So if someone says, oh, you know, what happened in the Bible, that's all, you know, fake, it's fiction, it's a myth. Um, don't come to them with like, oh, but textual criticism. Um, they're going to, if they know anything about it, they'll look at you like, um, that's irrelevant. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Moving on, uh, let me just practically give you an example um, of how um, textual criticism is practically um, used. Uh, so let's talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls. Okay, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found um, in, I believe, a cave somewhere. <laughs> um, and so prior to these Dead Sea Scrolls, um, the earliest Old Testament manuscripts that we had dated back to uh, 1000 AD. Okay, so that's only 1,017 years ago. Um, now that we found the Dead Sea Scrolls relatively recently, um, they date back to between the 3rd century and 1st century BC. Okay, so that's 1,300 years before what the, you know, the manuscripts that we did have prior to finding these. So there's a thousand years of difference between these two documents um, that we found. And, and yet scholars looked at these, right? they, they applied the textual criticism. And they looked at these copies of the text prior to the scrolls and then looked at the Dead Sea Scrolls themselves 
and found that the variants were minimal. All right, so that's a thousand years go by. A thousand years go by, and yet what we see um, between the two documents that are supposedly saying the exact same thing, the variants are, are minimal. And so you're probably thinking, okay, well, what do you consider minimal? Um, well, most of the variants were spelling and word order. Okay, not anything like, oh, there's an addition or an omission. You know, some things are said here, some things aren't said. Um, you know, it's not uh, anything serious. Um, it, again, it's spelling and word order. And um, these two documents, you know, what we had 1080 and what we had uh, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, they're 95% in agreement. 95% in agreement. So what we see uh, in the, the, the comparing of the two manuscripts that we that we have, or in, the, in this case that we're discussing, um, they're 95% in agreement over a thousand years of copying. So, I mean, you can be pretty confident. That's, that's an amazing number over a thousand years. Um, no other historical document comes close to anything like that. Um, to, so to summarize, um, Jesus and the apostles, as we, as we talked about in the last episode, check that out if you haven't listened to it. Um, Jesus and the apostles treated the copies of scripture as reliable and authoritative as the original manuscripts. Okay, I'm going to read Luke 24, 25 through 27 um, to to kind of hammer down on that. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them uh, the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Okay, so we treated... Again, you know, Jesus, as I spoke about in the last podcast, Jesus used copies. Um, that's what he read and taught from. Uh, he used the Greek version of the Old Testament. Uh, we know that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. He used a copy and treated it as authoritative. Um, so we can be confident in our copies as well. Um, also, next point, um, great care was taken by those who copied the text. Now, I won't get too deep into this, but there's this family of Jewish scribes, uh, the Masoretes, um, who took this job of copying the Bible very seriously. If there were variants in the Bible, they in, in the manuscripts that they had, they would burn it, burn it, cut it up, get rid of it, so that it couldn't even be found years later. Um, so it, so that, you know, we wouldn't find it, you know, we dig it up and say, oh, look, a Bible, let's copy it and use this. Um, so that we would have exactly what was accurate and what was originally written. Uh, so they took great care um, copying the text. Um, my next point, God has shown his intent to protect his word. Again, as we talked about last, uh, podcast, uh, if you read Jeremiah 36, um, with Jeremiah and Baruch, uh, the King, uh, cut up the scrolls and he burned them. And God specifically told Baruch to write exactly what was on the old scrolls that got cut up and burned. Um, he, God was taking great care of what he wanted in scripture. He wasn't going to leave it out. He said exactly what you wrote then is what you need to write again on these next scrolls. Um, again, Revelation chapter 10, verse 4, um, God tells John not to write something specifically. So God cares exactly, cares about exactly what's in his word. Um, and then my last point in the summary is that we have the promise of God. All right, if we read Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, it says the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God or word of our God stands forever. 
And if you read Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, it says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. All right, so we have the very promise of God. And if we trust scripture, we can, you know, hang a hat on these. Um, these are my final thoughts. Uh, I want to give a quote by Scott Keen. Um, he said, those who attack the word of God are still under the authority of the word of God, and they will one day give an account to the God of the word. So uh, to me, that was powerful. Um, you know, people can give you these responses and claims and objections against the word of God, but they will one day have to answer to the God that they're questioning. Um, so, I mean, the evidence and the facts are in front of you. You need to accept it. Um, let these things that are being taught affirm your convictions uh, and give a response to others that maybe have questions about it in love and gentleness and respect. Um, and then lastly, I, I want to mention this. These, these last two podcasts are very important. Um, and talking about the reliability of scripture is very important. Why? Um, if you look at Genesis 3 and you look at Matthew 4, Satan, um, his method has always been to attack the reliability of God's word. In Genesis 3, he, he has uh, Eve um, and Adam question what God has deliberately and specifically and intentionally spoken to them. Okay, he, he gets them to question what God has already spoken to them. In Matthew 4, he, Jesus is in the wilderness and Satan, what does he do? He tries to twist God's word. He tries to uh, get Jesus to doubt God's word. Um, so it's very important that we be on guard and that we be prepared um, to give answers to people that may be under the same attack. Um, Satan is limited. All right. He is smart and we have to give him um, that. We cannot overlook his schemes, um, but we have to be prepared to take them on because they are um, serious and people do fall prey to these schemes. Um, and so we need to be prepared uh, personally and also be prepared to prepare others. Okay. So um, that is all that I have today um, with this podcast. Uh, I'm not going to get much deeper into the reliability of scripture because it can get really deep. Um, but just know that information is there. Um, the next podcast will be on the deity of Christ and um, did he claim to be God and how do we know he is God? Um, so if you're interested in that, please, please check back for our next podcast. And I hope you will um, benefit. So this is Marcus Tatum. This is the Convinced Christianity Podcast. Again, thanks for listening. Thank you.